I pray that today the word of God would do what any worship season in our lives would do or prayer session. I pray that what takes place today in the teachings will allow each and every one of you to be able to tap into something different and that the word will do what it always does. Heals, directs, uh, delivers. That's what the word does. Today I'm going to go into the similarities and differences of Genesis and John. Uh, we're going to touch on a couple of things that I think are going to be life-changing as far as how we navigate through the word. Uh, Genesis and the Gospel of John are both books of the Bible that we all are very familiar with. But they come from different sections and serve distinct purposes within the biblical narrative. While Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament and focuses on the creation of the world and the universe and the origins of humanity, the Gospel of John is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament and centers on the life, ministry, death, and resurrection. And I say that fast, death and resurrection. A lot of us have been taught about the sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross, death. And a lot of times we even stay with the death of. There are people that would prefer to see an image of a dead Christ than an empty cross. Or they would, they would, they would rather have Jesus looking defeated than Jesus being victorious. You don't find too many people with uh, the empty tomb as a tattoo. You don't, you don't find that because the real story is the empty tomb. It's not the death. He, he dies on the cross, but the works of the cross are what took place before and after the cross. That's the works of the cross. But if you stay at the cross, you will see a defeated human. And if you don't understand the fullness of the word, all you see is somebody defeated. Guys, we know the power of images, and so does the devil. He knows that images work in the minds of people. That's why he preferred for there to be a gospel that includes a dead Christ. So you come to church every day and you see a dead man hanging. Psychologically, it shows you defeat. Psychologically, you're looking at something that you experience here on earth where death is the end all. So if you see a dead man, right, I'll give you an example. If we were to take this and present the, the, the gospel with a dead Jesus on a cross to indigenous people who've never heard of God and Jesus, you take that over to them and you tell them, this is my God. You tell them, this is my God. What does that look like? This is what? Defeat. My God is a defeated God. My God is a God that bleeds and dies. Meanwhile, to them, God would have to resemble what? What are the things they actually try to compare God to in indigenous places? The sun, the moon, rain, things that have power. And here we have these conquistadors in the 1400s going to these places to colonize them 
telling people, we come in the name of this guy right here who's dead on a cross. Please understand the psychological. If you don't understand the psychological, you'll miss what I'm saying. And when they come in, they demonstrate this dead Christ on a cross saying, this is our Lord. And on top of that, we want to make sure that you worship him. Do you understand why many died? Why many were not willing to give their lives up? For an image that they did not understand because they had no experience? Now, if you have an experience with Christ, that's why you've got to always look through the lenses of someone who had no experience to be an effective evangelist. You can't expect everybody to know what you're talking about just because Jesus loves you. And tell me about what Jesus loves me. What, what about Jesus loving me? Well, I'm doing Jesus's, I'm doing what Jesus called me to do. So see what, what Jesus is doing with me through you for you. That's good. But you still got to explain who he is. And in doing so, you've got to come across the death and resurrection. So what am I saying? Never exclude the resurrection when you're talking about Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Write it down. Never exclude the resurrection. I love the way Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, without the resurrection, this is all in vain. It means nothing. You know why? Because anyone can die. But not anyone can resurrect themselves. That was the anomaly. I live when everyone else would have just remained dead. Wow. The Gospel of John is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament and centers on the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Despite these differences in context and genre, there are some similarities and differences in content and themes and theological perspectives between the two texts. We're going to start with creation. Number one, creation. Both Genesis and the Gospel of John address the theme of creation. Genesis opens up with the account of God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Similarly, the Gospel of John begins with the proclamation that Jesus, the Word of God, was present at the creation and played a role in bringing all things into being. Um, and that's when I bring in um, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. If I'm not mistaken, it might be verse 15. But let's, 15? Thank you. Colossians 1, 15. And we find something interesting in Colossians 1, 15. That, the, that Paul, to this particular church, he's letting them know who... God is, or should I say Jesus, one and the same. Do you understand why people have a hard time with Jesus being God and God being Jesus? Can anybody, can anybody think about why is it hard to conceive that thought? Well, one of the reasons is that we're in a world where everything comes from somewhere. We are about beginnings and ends. Everything's about a beginning and an ending. When's your birthday? You know, everybody knows the sunrise and sunset. You know, if you look at somebody's obituary, it says sunrise and sunset. 
So to us, it is, it is like it, there has to be a beginning. Meanwhile, the word is saying that Jesus has no beginning, and he was there in the beginning, if there is a beginning, with God. But what does have a beginning? There is a beginning in the beginning of time, but there is no beginning in the beginning of no time. So that's why in the beginning can only be applicable to time. In the beginning cannot be applicable in the outside of time. There's no way to explain that unless you are willing to enter a rabbit hole that excludes the effects of time. Some of us are 40 and 50 years old, 60, 70, maybe 80, who knows. Bottom line is some of us are, we're counting. We're a certain age. And the age we count is based on the fact that we are basing everything on the circulation of an, a planet that goes around a sun. 365 days is what it takes for this planet to go and circulate around the sun. So everything's based on a circulation. However, if we pay attention to the structure of things, it's the reason why God can say, I know who you were even before you were born, Jeremiah chapter 1. Before you came out, of, I knew you already. Because in the realm of no time, you don't just pop up. You just are. In the realm of no time, there is no beginning event to begin you. Oof, that, that, I like that one. There is no birthday. There is a consciousness. So you are already conceived in thought, but then you manifest on earth. The day I came out of my mother's womb, her prayers before I came out were acknowledged. It, it was a precursor to my showing up. Had she not prayed in time, it would not have been the case. But outside of time, she already prayed and it all happened at the same time. Let's continue. So look what Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. Whoa. And is supreme over all creation. His existence is before creation because he was already there with God as God. And so once time is put into the picture as a recipe, the moment that takes place is the moment God has to distinguish himself as Son, Father, and Holy Spirit. Outside of time, he is God. And how do we know this? Let's go to Isaiah 43, 10. Isaiah 43, 10. And then I'm going to come, I got to come back to this, to this verse again. So if you can have, have your thumb on, on uh, Colossians 1.16. It's going to be the next one. Look what it says. But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servants. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, 
and understand that I alone am God. What did he say? I alone am God. If you read this, you better not be looking for any other God. Right? Because this is very technical. There is no other God. Look what else it says. There is no other God. Look what else it says. There never has been. Look what else it says. And there never will be. You think he really wanted everyone to know that there's only one God? No, because he continues. He doesn't stop. It's like he's really on a roll right now. God is on a roll. He goes, yes. Yes, just in case you're doubting. Yes, I am the Lord and there is no other Savior. I am the Lord and there is no other Savior. So the key here is to understand that God is adamant about making people know, letting the world know that there is no other God but him. That there is no other Savior but him. But don't we call Jesus our what? Our Savior? So if you are a Jewish person who just read this, you just came out the synagogue fired up. I don't know how they do it, but they all fired up because they just finished reading this. Fired up. Yes, there is no other God. And they're walking with each other. And you come out and you talk about Jesus. Just like the indigenous people, they're going to reject because maybe they don't see a dead Christ, but they see somebody oppos in opposition of what is said in Isaiah 43.10. All right, let's go to Isaiah 44.6. Isaiah 44.6. So you can see how serious God is about this. He's really, really serious. Look what he says. Isaiah 44.6. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am what? I'm the first and I am also. There is no what? There is no other God. <laughs> he, he really wants to make emphasis on this. Again, you are of the Jewish faith and you're hearing this and reading this over and over again. Look what else it says. Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done. What did Jesus say? I do as, whoa, let him do as I have done since ancient times. When I established a people and explained its future. There is, look, look, he says, do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No. There is no other rock. Not one. What did Jesus compare himself to? The rock. Jesus is the rock of my. Ooh, look at all this. So then, now Jesus pops on the scene. Now, how do we merge this, this alpha and omega concept? How do we bring it all together? Well, if we go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, we find the same sound of Isaiah 43.10 and Isaiah 44.6. Go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. It says here, just like 44.6, I am the, and the, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is who always was and who is still to come, the Almighty One. 
Period. What, how can you argue that? So we just finished reading Isaiah 43.10. We went to Isaiah 44.6. We just went right now to Revelation 1.8. It all sounds the same until you get to Revelation 2.8. And that changes it all for the indigenous and for the Jewish. Look what it says. Revelation 2.8. Revelation 2.8. Almost there. There we go. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last. Sounds familiar? This is the one who what? This is the message from the one who is the first and the last. And here's where everything changes, even for the indigenous who are reading this. Who was dead but is now alive. And it's in red letters. You know why? Because Jesus said this one. The first one was the Father. Jesus said the second one. It's important to know this. That when you're reading the word, you're going to read a compilation of different statements made by the triune God. One moment is God the Father speaking. Another moment is Jesus speaking, God the Son. Another moment is the Holy Spirit speaking. You just got to know how to rightly divide the word. And when you rightly divide the word, you find yourself understanding why God did what he did. I'm going to share with you later on a story that's going to allow you to understand how these echoes or transmissions or frequencies from one generation to the next, was supposed to take place. You are part of a frequency. Oh, my God. You didn't just pop up. Like, right now, you're not just energy in a place just because. You are energy in a certain spot on this day planned by God. Oh, my God. Do you know where you're sitting right now is it is a story that God put in place there where you're sitting right now was planned by God. Meaning that God said, this little burst of energy that was born on XYZ day, I'm going to make sure that on this day, they're all going to be all together in that one little spot. And if I decided to right now plug into that one little spot that you're sitting in right now, I would get a whole world of information. Do you understand your story can be a movie? Your story could be a movie right now that will produce thousands and millions of dollars. Why? Because just you alone is a world. That's what makes God, that's what makes him so fascinating that he's involved in many worlds. As we sit here, we are involved with God. Like, what you're thinking right now is not what I'm thinking. So you may be looking at me going, oh, that's, that's crazy. So somebody else is saying something else. Each one of you is your own world, thinking of your own thing, and God is a part of it. All of it. So while I was over here teaching earlier, look how God does things. I'm here teaching earlier. 
I find out and I got to see a little bit of what my daughter was doing somewhere else. She just came from preaching in another church. Y'all not understanding. I watched her preach the little little time that I was in there because Deacon Bethany sent me the clip. And I said, holy smokes. Because the energy that was assigned to that place, the people that received just a little while ago, and and that, that was a lot of people from what I saw. And I'm looking, I'm going, while I'm here, my DNA is over there. Meaning the instructions that was given, look, 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 it's generational. Because years ago, my teacher, who's here right now, my mother was my teacher. She taught me and left a legacy that allowed me to teach my daughter. I, I saw up there, but I said, yeah, I see that. You know, <laughs> I know where that come from right there. I see that gesture right there. I know that gesture. It was powerful. And so what, do I, what, what am I saying with all this? There is something about the energy transmission, the frequency that becomes continued. That's why you raise your child in the ways of the Lord. That frequency continues. Don't concern yourself. Oh, my God, they're going to know. Pay attention to the frequency and make a declaration. Later on, I'll tell you what can, what can cause there to be a shifting. We're not going to talk about, talk about that right now. All right. Let's go to number two. Light and darkness. Both texts use the imagery, both Genesis and John, use the imagery of light and darkness as symbolic elements. In Genesis, God separates light from darkness on the first day of creation. While in John, Jesus is described as the light of the world who brings illumination and truth. So both Genesis and John discuss this area of light and darkness. The days that we find in Genesis on the first day, it was day and night, it was morning and evening, it wasn't about the day and night, it was about the separation. God had to show that good and evil is an ability to see and not see, and not physical light, or not physical, being able to see physically, but rather being able to see in your spirit. I need you to, to really think, oh, I left it in. All right. I, I need you to really, can, can we get, uh, yeah. I need you to really pay attention to something. When blind people know who you are without seeing you, is a miracle. When Jesus walks in the light of the world, the light that's not a visible light, but a light that's internal, all of a sudden you have them say the following. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What? First of all, how do you know he's a son of David? Who told you that but the Spirit of God? 
To be able to see physically is a good thing, but to be able to see spiritually will take you even further. You know who Jesus is versus falling in love with a portrait of Jesus. See a big old picture of Jesus. Oh, I feel holiness. We're so caught up with imagery that we forget about the fact that in heaven, it's not about the imagery. Even though heaven is aesthetically beautiful, you know, there's description, but the description is for your soul, not for your eyes. That's why the light, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it wasn't that he's this brilliant light. Is that he was the one who was directing us out of darkness. The darkness that was discussed in Genesis chapter 1. It's darkness separating from light. Now we know what the standard is. You know, we sometimes act confused about what God would consider good and bad. And, and you, you run into societies that, that try to be godless and they try to say, well... That standard is not, you know, it's not the general standard. I'm going to tell you something. Just because the general populace believes one thing, it doesn't mean that it's the truth. Reality is one thing. Truth is another. We've talked about that. And you're going to find that many will move in a realness on earth and go with what the general populace believes. But when you understand the truth, you will still be, you will be in opposition and stay in position whenever somebody brings you something that's nonsensical. Who brings illumination? Who brings truth? Who's able to contrast one thing with the other? Look, last night I was on a podcast. Um, I, urge you, I urge you guys to take a look at it. I don't know if you saw You saw it? Amen. Amen. Uh, I think Raquel kind of broadcasted it. I urge you to take a look at it. You know, I think one of the most important things in presenting that subject is making sure that you present it in love. My emphasis in the whole podcast was to make sure that every person that would have heard that, whether they're homosexual or not, would understand that there's love involved. So I went in on the whole agenda. And I talked about the agenda because we have a lot of pastors. Ooh, Jesus is scary. We have a lot of pastors that have now settled. And when I say they settled, they now believe that the intellectual, intellectual property of God is alterable. Let me, let me explain. When we talk about God's intellectual property, it has the ability to duplicate. And last night, again, I'm not going to go into what I said last night. I, just, I would like for you guys to see it. I made sure to touch on those points because we have a problem as a church thinking that it's, it's them and us. It isn't, and we keep saying it. Wrong. And somebody who would listen to me would say, well, what is he, what is he, where is he really going with this? Until I start saying it, and then the other side goes, why is he going there? little girl was, was looking at the bones of the body. And she, she said, uh, she was with, uh, what's his name, Harvey, uh, Steve Harvey. 
And she goes, um, uh, there is one bone that is gender specific. She meant specific, right? She said, gender specific. And, you know, he goes, so which one is that? And it's the pelvic that is gender specific. Meaning that if ever you wanted to find out the culture or the amount of people in a certain culture from a thousand years ago by digging their bones up, what you'll find is male, female, children that died young, adults, but you will not find homosexual bones. Because homosexuality is an ideology. And you can't dig up ideology unless there are notes written, something written. It has to be passed on by that. Why? For those who would say, I'm born this way, you can't be born of an ideology. Your physiology says you're this. And I had somebody tell me, which is so interesting. They said, but what about those people who are born with both, both parts? I said, one is very rare, but wait, even the rarity of it is this. Because I had to consult with a doctor on this one, right? The one thing that will always be consistent are the ovaries and that which forms or creates the sperm. Everybody's an adult here. In other words, you will be able to do one or the other, regardless of those parts that were trying to form but did not complete. So you're either going to be a male or a female, even though that part was trying to form itself. Was that a mistake? Is that a mistake? No, it's not a mistake. Here's what it is. It's the moving away from Eden. As we move from Eden, the body will react accordingly. You think cancer is really supposed to be around? No. Cancer is a product of an injection that needs to be pulled out by another injection. And the problem is that we get so caught up with this area of that's who you are. That's your identity. Ident identity in who? Let's continue. So I, that, was a, that was a commercial for, the, uh, for you guys to watch. And then when you watch it, please share it too. It's um, on, I, look, look up Raquel Pena. Is it on my page? I didn't get, get a chance to put it on my page. Look up Raquel Pena. She has it on there. And if one of you could share it with me, please do that too. All right. Number three. Covenantal, I think I'm doing pretty good right now and pairing it off, maybe somewhat. Covenantal language. Covenantal language. Here's a covenantal language, and please understand that if, you, if you're able to implement creation, light and darkness, and covenantal language, you'll see that both Genesis and John employ covenantal language, and you'll see that there's an establishment of covenant. God establishes a covenant with Noah. After the flood and with Abraham, promises to bless him, blessing him and his descendants. In the Gospel of John, 
Jesus speaks of a new covenant and describes himself as the fulfillment of God's promises to the people of Israel. Here's the thing. Covenant language is a language that will allow the promise to come to pass. When you tell God, Lord, I pray, I'm praying that you do this for me. The one thing he's going to tell you is, have you considered my universal covenant narrative? Y'all didn't get that. When you're a farmer, you don't have to start telling God, please, Lord, please. He's going to say, I already have something in place that is a covenant between you and the earth that the earth will acknowledge the exchange. Don't go praying for something that I've already established to work for you. You put that seed in the ground, the harvest is waiting because already covenant has been established from years ago. In other words, an enactment would cause the reenactment of something that has already been occurring in history. Who's understanding what I'm saying? So historically, we know that it works. We see it happen time and again. So what does covenantal language do? It brings out the ability to make an exchange that even God has to acknowledge. Did you know that in order for us to be saved, there had to be a covenant made? For God so loved the world that he covenanted. He could not save us without covenant. So then I ask you the question, let's bring it home, let's bring it on home. I ask you the question, what have you been willing to give up to grow in him? What covenant are you making with God if the universe already acknowledges covenants? Do you know Hannah? That's the example I used in the last year. I'm doing pretty good, guys. I'm doing examples from the, from the last one. All right? I'm, I'm on, right? I'm doing good? Hannah, she in 1 Samuel, she, she can't have a child. So she cries out to God, and she tells him, look, here's my, here's my covenant with you. If you grant me a child, I will, I'm willing to give him up to you. The power of covenant. Oh, okay. We're going to do that? You're going to do it like that? And when he passed the weaning ages, she had to give him up to the high priest. And a high priest who was not right. Because Eli was not right. Or Eli. It's Eli or Eli either or. And when he takes him, she knows there's nobody better for her son than her, at least in her mind, right? Any mother would think that. You know, my child is, I'm the best person for my child, right? Because somebody right now, Deacon Angie, somebody take take Louis. Louis. Takes him. You didn't even let me finish. Mm -mm, No, mm -mm, no, no. No, yep, mm-mm, with a Puerto Rican hat, mm-mm. 
Shoo, you, you, you don't even talk about that. But it shows you that the power of covenant does require an area of pain and hurt. And we're not willing to give up certain things and want God to do certain things in our lives. Get rid of that and I got you. Add that and I got you. Let's exchange. Let's exchange. Because my universe is used to exchange to provide for you. So then let's take a look at covenant real fast. Or let's take a look at a situation in the Bible that leads us to that. I want you to take a look at, and I'm going to compare all this to John chapter 4. Write this down. John 4 speaks of a woman by the well. And this woman who was by the well was encountered by Jesus. And what an encounter this was. Jesus shows up and instead of saying, I am the answer, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. He goes, I'm thirsty. That's some water for me? That's for you, that's for you uh, evangelists. Sometimes it's not a coming with the glory. Sometimes you got to show that you need something from that person. When you show them you need them, they'll open up and show that they need you as well. Jesus, what does he really need? But he did that as an opening. He says, you know, I'm third. What's up? You got some water? This is my version. If I was ever to write a version of the Bible, it's going to have all these type of things in there. And so her, her response is like, yo, why are you talking to me? I am, I'm an Egyptian. Some of y'all going to get it. Whoever was here before, you'll catch it. I'm not that person that you would want to talk to. I don't qualify for this conversation. So why are you talking to me? But what you don't know is that Jesus had to do a reenactment of an enactment. That's what a reenactment is. So let's go there. Genesis chapter 21. We're going to go straight to I will do we'll do 8. I'll do the same thing. 8. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham. Everybody's clear on that, right? Ishmael, the son of Abraham. His oldest son, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Agar. Which, by the way, the Egyptian servant, Agar, was really the princess of the, the Pharaoh. For those who don't know. She was the princess of the Pharaoh who tried to get with Sarah, unauthorized. And God went and visited this, this Pharaoh and told him, how dare you? And he said, but it's not my fault. Abraham didn't tell me that that was his wife. He told me that was his sister. Abraham lied. He tried to save his tail. And so God had to visit him. And you know what? He knew the power of exchange. Do you know what the Pharaoh did? He didn't, he didn't just give his daughter. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a lot. You take my daughter too. 
He gave him gold, silver. He gave him all types of things that made him rich overnight. Abraham, by lying, won the lotto. I don't suggest you try to do that, by the way. That was all for a purpose. It wasn't that he was right. Sometimes the outcome does not describe whether or not you were right. There are people who are wealthy that they're still wrong. It, the, the fact that things are going well for them doesn't mean that they're living a righteous life. It means that somebody connected to them may be living a righteous life and needs them to be the one to prime the well. Did everybody get that? All right. So Abraham and her Jews, eh, making fun of, so she saw him making, making, Sarah saw Ishmael making fun of Isaac. She turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share in the inheritance of, with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much. I can imagine what this argument really looked like. You know, we see one sentence, but I'm sure this was an all-nighter. Y'all know about these all-night arguments? Anybody married? All-nighters? Uh, all night, back and forth. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Agar's son. Because he is your son too. What does that mean? That means that in Genesis 22, when God kept saying, your son, your only son, this had happened before. This is Genesis 21. And God is telling Abraham in Genesis 22, take your son, your only son. Anybody who reads that goes, there's a contradiction. I know it. The Bible always contradicts itself. No, it does not. God speaks in more than just a day-to-day -day language. His language is quantum-influenced. I hope you understood that. The language of God, when he speaks, he's speaking to not just you today, but you of yesterday and you of the future. So it's up to you to know what part of my life is he talking to. Who is he talking to right now? Oh, what is he saying right now? What part of me should be understanding what's being stated? Everybody with me? So the thing about this story is that Abraham obviously gets upset. He, 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 he follows through. Uh, he wakes up early the next morning. He prepares food and a container of water and strapped them on Agar's shoulder. Then he sent her on her way with her son. And she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. But God heard the boy crying. What did God hear? He didn't hear her. Mind you, it says that she cried. She was crying, but whose voice God was listening to were the loins of Abraham. The promise and the covenant power between Abraham and God was so strong that even his loins, even his DNA was still a part of that conversation. Ishmael had to be heard because of the covenant that God made with Abraham. 
Oh, no, no, no. No, I'm hoping y'all really getting this one right here. So Abraham, watch this. Let me show you. So Abraham was approached by God in Genesis chapter 12. He was told by God. So when God speaks to you, he speaks to all of you. He even speaks to the future you. So that means even things that are inside of you, that are in you, are hearing this. Watch me now. Because Ishmael came from you, it's the reason why he didn't hear Agar crying. He heard the promise, the son of the promise, cry out. So he was listening to the covenant scenario between him and Abraham, but by way of his son, Ishmael. Okay, I was hoping you caught that one. That's how serious covenant is with God. That's why when you tell God, Lord, that's it. If you're a smoker, you go, God, that's it. I'm going to make a covenant with you right now. I'm going to end this thing. I'm gonna, matter of fact, you do the whole ritual thing. You grab all the, all the boxes of cigarettes, you break it, and you're telling God, I'm in covenant with you. God takes that covenant serious. That it's not just for you, but for the next generation. Well, we, we, it's like we, we have bad, like we, don't, we, we forget stuff. Like we'll, we'll say, yeah, good, I'm going to do it, and then the next day. And then we post stuff on, on Facebook wondering, God don't need to see it on Facebook, but man, we need to know that covenant is important for our well-being. You're not doing anything for him. You're doing it for you. Power of covenant. Now, look what happens. God heard the boy. Um, God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Agar's eyes, and she saw a well. What did she see? She saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness. Now, who approached this woman? The word says, the angel of the Lord. Does anyone know who the angel of the Lord is? That's Jesus. So Jesus finds a conversation with a woman by the well before he becomes flesh in John 4 with a woman by the well. So this woman by the well concept did not start in John 4. It was already an echo or transmission of the past that led into the one that we know about. And if he meets you by a well, because it's already a continued thing. As a matter of fact, we know that you can be met by the well with Jesus even today. Because what, what's the quality of a well? You hear that? Water, the flow of water, continual water. Water is the well. That's why anybody who's going to a well, they know they're going to a well to get water. And Jesus is making it clear. I am that well. But he had to tell that story. Now, he didn't just do it with that one. Let's go to Genesis chapter 24. 
I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to go to verse 9. Go to verse 9. Amen? Let me go. Let me start from there. There's a little bit about what's going on. There's a servant that was given an assignment to find a wife for Isaac. So he was going out there, and he's obviously praying and acknowledging he actually took an oath. So let's go, let's go from the point of him taking an oath. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions. Then he loaded 10 of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts. Power of exchange, guys. Here it is. We're a generation that's stingy, that we think that everything we do, we're entitled to everything without exchange. This was, an, this was a known thing in that time. You want to go and give something or receive something, you better be loaded to give. To obtain a wife you had to come with some stuff. Praise God. I wish that still took place today. When you have a lot of daughters, you want to make sure. You, where's your camel? Where's your donkeys? You know? now, now the father got to pay for the whole thing. How things have changed. I'm about to bring that thing back again. Where your, where your gifts? Um, their, their, uh, expensive gifts from his master and the travel the distance from Abraham uh, Narahim, whatever that thing is there he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled he made the camels kneel beside a well now watch this just outside the time it was evening and the women were coming out to draw water Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me a success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring or this well, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. Sound familiar? This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, please give me a drink. Jesus was just doing what was done. Because that whole scenario is all connected to a moment of what we call an epiphany. <gasps> wow. Yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before he had finished praying, because that's how it happens when, it, when it's God, even before you're done, God already got you. Those of us who are praying for a spouse or, you know, especially someone, listen to me. Don't come empty-handed. Don't go coming at God and, please, no, come with something. What are you going to do? What are you giving up? What are you bringing? Because when you do that, you're making a statement of how serious you are, and God will acknowledge the covenant language. Ah, so he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor, and his wife Milcah. 
I'm going to stop there. Well, no, let me, let, me, let, me, let me continue. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Now, she's the total opposite of John 4, the woman in John 4. Total opposite of the woman by the well. The woman by the well was, virgin was not a part of the uh, vocabulary. She, she was already on her fifth husband, and the one she was living with wasn't her husband. So she's the total opposite. But look what God still does. He still goes through the whole process. Look what it says. She went down to the spring, filled the jug, came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Sound familiar? Can I get some water? When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. Bingo. And here we find the church. By the way, Rebecca is a picture of the church. Just like Eve. Rebecca is a picture of the church. Why? Because Isaac is the only one of the, the triune, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Of the three, Isaac is the only one who stayed with one woman. Y'all got to catch this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was to typify the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Isaac, like Jesus, gets married once. Oh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, let me just clear that up. Jesus didn't get married on earth with another woman. He got married with the church. Or he's... Oh, let me say it this way. He's getting married with the church. Let me say it right. Because we're still the girlfriend. Isn't that something? That's the only time we can say we're a girlfriend. <laughs> we're girlfriends of Jesus. <laughs> that, that's funny. Tough old voice. I'm, I'm, who are you? I'm, I'm Jesus' girlfriend. That's hilarious. So she quick, quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. All right. So that's that one. Now let's go to the last one. The last one, because you need, you know it always got to be in threes, right? There's always, you got to get that last one in there. Genesis chapter 29. This one here adds another twist to it. Let's go to verse. Um, let's go to verse 8. Go to verse 8. We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived. This is a conversation. They replied, this is Jacob speaking to the, 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 the actual uh, pastors that were there. Then the shepherds, or shepherds, then the shepherds moved the, well, we can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they replied. Then the shepherds moved the stone from the mouth of the well. And the water, and we water all, and, and we water all the sheep and goats, right? Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived. 
Rachel arrived with her father's flock. You know why? Because Rachel was a pastor. It is rare that you hear of a woman being a pastor. She had the same endeavor as David. So she must have had the art of what? Taking out what and doing what? Because if you are a shepherd, I'm going to tell you something. She wasn't just about pretty looks. You got to know exactly what it says about David who fought lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. He fought them. That means that she must have been able to do the same thing. She was a shepherd. And it makes sense because as a shepherd, she had to be the one to introduce the beginnings of what was to take place in the future. Because another time a stone was going to be moved, it had to be a female to be present to let that water out. Because from the tomb, a stone was moved, and the first person that was present was a female by the name of Mary Magdalene. So we find a third encounter by the well. So Jesus takes that. And by the way, if you know the story of the woman by the well, you find out that there's something that she said to Jesus, right? Because she was embarrassed. There's no way around it. She was embarrassed. Jesus figured out something. So she said, I got to change the subject fast. She changes the subject. And she says, uh, you know, we here, we, we uh, 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 Samaritans believe that it's here in Jacob's well. Because where was she? She was in what well? That well. Jacob's well. Jacob's well was a representation of the old. And Jesus said, I'm about to change the Old Testament by way of covenant, not by way of law. See, Jesus didn't come to change the law. He came to fulfill it. And by covenant, because he understands the power of exchange. If I am to obtain my people, then I have to release blood onto the ground. Every drop of blood is going to be enough to pay the price because it's about exchange. He couldn't have you without blood. He couldn't have you without blood. Because the life is in, the life is in the blood. She was a shepherd. So now we look at the story and we go to John 4, we find out, wow, what a stark difference and similarity. Genesis and John are parallel in that area. If you, mind you, there's a whole lot of these in the Bible. I just gave you that one story. There's a lot of them that all parallel. And when they parallel, your job is to go, wow, look at Jesus here. Jesus is in, in the entire word, but it's up to you to surrender your understanding and allow the Spirit of God to take you there. Our understanding of things can, can block 
the information given. You know why? Because I'm going to use what, what I'm going to use what Jonas said earlier. Jonas said something that um, was a part of one of my teachings. It wasn't part. It wasn't a part of these that I just finished doing. When Adam and Eve were caught by God, and they figured out that they were what naked. What did, they, what did they try to do? They try to cover themselves, but with what? Fig leaves. Let's, let's say what it is. Fig leaves, right? They wanted to cover themselves with what they believe was the answer to cover themselves. But the power of exchange took place in the Garden of Eden. For God had to be the first one to shed blood. With an animal. Did you know that? God clothed them with animal skin. You can't clothe with animal skin without killing the animal. He had to make sure to show that my covenant with humanity is going to take place in the future by way of this transaction because man will always try to find their own way to cover themselves. So when Jesus was, was this is another one for you, Jesus was actually collecting his disciples, right? First one was Andrew and John, then came Peter, then came Philip. In that order, right? It was Andrew, John, Andrew introduced his brother Peter, according to the book of John. And Peter, Peter ended up believing because, you know, the, the introduction by way of Andrew. And then Jesus went straight to Philip. Like some people don't, you know, you, you can't, it ain't going to be by anybody else but Jesus. I understand that. Jesus is going to have to be the one to tap him on the shoulder. Nobody else can do it. You've tried for like a thousand years and they don't respond. And what you need to do is start praying that the Lord would touch them. Lord, give them an encounter. We're, we're, we're still trying to do it. We, we're trying to do it. Keep telling them, come on, you want to be saved? Do you want to be saved? And God is saying, That's the, you ain't going to be enough. Your voice is too familiar. You're not enough. So you need to let me do it now. If you pray and exchange with me, let's move in covenant. Everything's in covenant. I'll be the one to tap them on the shoulder. And that's what Philip was. Philip was the example of Jesus going, okay, ain't nobody else going to tap this guy. Let me do it. And he gets him. But Philip had a friend. And his friend was called Nathaniel. Or in the other books, name is Bartholomew. Same dude, by the way. Nathaniel and Bartholomew is the same person. It's just that Bartholomew says, son of Tholomew. Bar means son of Tholomew. Same guy. Nathaniel was doing what Adam and Eve tried to do. It says that in the word, Jesus tells him, I saw you under the fig tree, under your own understanding, trying to cover your own self, doing your own type of prayer. Gotcha. And he gassed them up. Because that's what Jesus will do, right? Just be like, you're the greatest of all time. Man, you're the best in all of Israel. Why? Because 
that's going to allow that person to open up their ears. So he tells them, of all of Israel, you're the one. And he goes, how do you know that's me? Just by him saying that, you already know where he's at. Why would he say, how do you know? You're talking about me. How do you know that? I got your number. And it's so interesting because he was under a fig tree. Because the fig tree is our own understanding. And Jesus wants to get us out of the fig into the covenant. The fig tree removes us from covenant. But he wants to put us into covenant. Again, the first animal that was taken out was by way of sacrifice. Covenant. Blood. God was the first to shed blood. God. But when he sheds it, it doesn't change into evil. God, you know, the only one when, and I'm going to say that for next week, but Cain and Abel, that's a whole different ballgame. Because man was not supposed to kill man. Creator doesn't have to be under his, his, the tenets of creation. He, he doesn't have to be under those, those guidelines. He can, he can alter whatever he wants. He's the creator. But he told us not to do it. And we're not supposed to do it. All right. I'm going to take about three minutes. Three minutes. Um, we're going to do what we did with the first group. See, I'm, I'm still on, on track. Um, so each table has one, two, three. But we need to change this, this table here. Maybe, maybe one of you can come over here and one of you can, uh, Pastor, why don't you go over there, Pastor, Jen, why don't you go to that table, have her come over here. Um, you three, that's good, that'll work. Uh, a mother-son combination, gotta change. Um, won't you go over there to that table? Yeah, and you come over here to this table. And... Why don't you join, why don't you join them? One of you, one of you here, won't you join them? And why don't you join, why don't you join them? Join them. Mm -hmm. And here's what we're going to do, guys. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what is it that you have as a takeaway of everything that was given. For those of you who, in the first one, there were some things that were not given in the first one, so you can use, you know, there's some stuff that was given. So I want you guys to go over. You got, I'm going to give you five minutes, five minutes to put it together, five minutes. And if you like, you can join them over here. I think that'd be a great idea. Join them. He's fascinating. What he said. <laughs> That's hilarious.
Testing one, two. We are done. All right, we're going to start off in the far left. Your far right. My left. And we're going to work our way all the way around, guys. I need everybody's attention. Everyone's attention. Here we go. We're almost here. Almost. Almost. All right, here we go. And they're still talking. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. Here we go. Oh, she's a sign. You guys were in agreement? Was it a covenant agreement? I just want to see if it's a covenant agreement. Amen. Amen. Give me more. That was a good one. That's a good. Give me some. I'd like to build off that. That's good. Oh, we didn't have the microphones. He said you can't fire yourself. Oh, yeah. All right, so so that 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 one is 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 a better one than the first. The first one's good. No, right here. But that second one is a good one. Repeat that that whole thing with the quantum <laughs> All right so I'll help you out she was talking about the language of God with people right there is a quantum conversation meaning that he'll talk to you based on your past your present and your future so wherever you fall in there it's going to be good for you to know how to interpret that. That's where rightly dividing the word of God comes into play. It's based on that quantum conversation. All right? And we, talked, we touched on that before when Jesus, that was the other thing, right, with Kairos and Kronos. Uh, in John chapter 5, in John 5, we find Jesus making a statement. And I got to bring that to you guys' attention in this class as well. I'll get back to that. Remind me, John 5. Thank you, guys. Oh, let's give him a hand. That was good. Um, our takeaway is the uh, realization that the transaction of the cross to the resurrection was a reenactment of Genesis to John. That's very good. In Three days. Three days. Amen. Did y'all catch that? Very powerful. Understand that a little further. Know that there are things that are being given by God on purpose for a future investigation. So literally, if you follow the line... To John, you follow the, the, the thread. That thread will be part of the original plan of God. He intended this for this. So you can understand this and to understand this because of this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You don't know that. You don't know the let there be light unless you understand the word. That Jesus is that light, the word. So one complements the other. In the beginning, God created. There is so much more when he created because not only did he create, because in his thoughts there's instructions. So God in Kairos and Kronos is giving instructions to everything that he created. So it requires our covenant. When we become covenant with him, in covenant with him, the conversation is continual. The seed has to be released so it can continue because that's in Kronos. In Kronos, but the seed ha- was given instructions in Kairos, but it requires our, our giving up. Kronos involvement. Our giving up. So, what um, DK Jahiro was saying, Abraham had to give up the anger in order to be able to have a reception. And as Lewis was saying, the comparison with Isaac to Jesus, there is a giving up of the old to understand what God is doing in new and continual. That's very good. That's very good. Listen, God gave Abraham the opportunity to give up a son before the second one. Abraham already gave up a son by way of Ishmael. But it wasn't the son. It was a son. So once a son turned to the son, now God says, oh, hold up. I need to do the son, even though you gave up a son. But I'm going to retrieve the a son by way of the son. So Ishmael becomes the church that gets retrieved later on because of covenant. Let's go to Colossians 1.16. Wait. Colossians 1.16, then we're going we're gonna to do, do this table next. This one here. This one. Mm-hmm. Colossians 1.16. Get that for me, please. Look at this, guys. Colossians 1.16. Look what it says. For through him, who's him? Jesus. God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see. And the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Stop there. That's, that's, stop there. That means that in the realm of the unseen, there is an actual government and structure. We are here sitting here. And there are things happening around us that we can't see. There are battles going on. There are things happening as we read the word. The word tends to do something to those spiritual entities that are not aligned with God. They fear your ability to understand. They are experts in distraction. And they want to distract you so that you don't know who you are. The more you are unfamiliar with who you are, the more they're able to give you anything and get you to go, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Look at it. Oh, it's so shiny. And now you're drawn to something that keeps you away from the truth. 
what it says. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. I'm going to stop there because it, there's, there's so much in Colossians. I mean, even him being the one who rises from the dead, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. Somebody had a discussion with me about whether or not our bodies were going to be glorified. And these are, these are people who really know their word, right? Really know their word. And I got to give them that, that props, right? But they, they told me that it's not an actual corporal body that is different. I said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, hold on a second. It is material glorified. That's what the word says. And if Jesus is the first, then he's the first model. He is the prototype of what's going to take place. That means that our bodies are still going to have something similar. And so they said, well, what about people who are eaten by sharks and people who are burned to the stake? I said, that's a good one. But, I, but here's the answer to that. Thank God we are DNA as well. Because whether you're, whether you're shark poop or you're laid in a coffin, it's still the material that was you. And whatever that miracle is going to be, when... Christ comes back again, where all the material is still here on earth. And even if those who died in outer space, that's still material that's lingering. That will come back together if they were believers. God is going to use the material that was used, that you used while you were on earth, and bring you back to that glorified state. All right. By the way, excellent job, guys. Thank you. You guys up to bat. Okay. <laughs> Don't go praying for something that is already designed to work. Instead, ask yourself, what are you willing to give up under the universal covenant language? You would pick that one. That's actually very powerful. Nothing we need, listen, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Pray on your knees or on your, on your elbows, whatever you prefer. Some people are seeking pain when they pray. As a matter of fact, they don't believe that they completed a prayer unless their knees are locked. Forget about hurt. They come up, and, and, and even if you preach this over and over again, they'll say amen, but go back to the When Jesus did it all already, I'm not saying don't pray on your knees. I pray on my knees, guys. I pray on my back. I pray in front. I pray walking. One of my greatest prayers was coming this, this morning. I was saturated. Anybody who got next to me this morning would have known. I, was, I, was, I said, let's do that every day, Lord. Elder Tiff got a, got a, Elder Tiff got a whiff of it. Elder Tiff got a whiff of it. And she came and I was drenched. I was in the presence, and I didn't want to come in here. I stayed outside for a little while. I don't know if you saw me in the car. I'm like, man, I got to go in. Oh, please stay with me. I don't, I don't need that right now. I just need this. And he said, no, this is the reason why I give you this. So get to that. All right, all right, all right. But, but, but the, the presence, 
my time alone driving from my house to here. That became my closet, my open heaven. And I felt him. I said, I, I know this place. I've been here before, but I don't want it to ever end. I'll keep on driving. You want me to keep driving? I'll keep driving. Because it was that intense. That's, the, that's what I seek. You can make you cry. I'm going to cry. It, it, it was that much of a moment. And I don't like losing that moment. But sometimes we've got to touch earth again. We're not, supposed to be so, we're not supposed to be floating all the time. Float when you're, when you're in heaven. Just float around. While you're on earth, get ready. Be back on, you know, we're on the ground again. And we got to bring people to that place of understanding. You guys. Why? Oh. Thank you. Well, uh, as an example for a covenantal transaction, we made one at this table. Uh, in exchange for me speaking, everyone <laughs> promised to bring me a sandwich next Sunday. <laughs> so. The power of covenant. <laughs> and, uh, that was good. That's the, the way we looked at what, what we uh, gathered. Uh, the covenantal transaction is a, is a give and take, like a dowry, you know, as Very we spoke good. of, and a dowry with the church also. So I know maybe everybody, uh, I shouldn't say everybody, but, you know, when we pray, we're always, God, I need this, God, I want that, you know. But you have to be prepared also to say that there should be an exchange. If I want, then... Is it going to be just a one-way street? Am I going to be prepared to, you know, in return, you know, for that sandwich, you know, <laughs> what am I prepared to, prepared to do? So, Powerful. 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 Listen, it is the power of covenant that allows us to do the things we do even for our spouses. Covenant speaks volumes. And we need to understand that in that covenant, there are certain parameters. Do we fail? Yes, we do. But as long as we're keeping in mind, I can be better, I can do better. And we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us while we're doing that thing that we, while we're about to do that thing that we're about to, you know, whether you're there or not there, that scenario. And we say, Lord, I turn myself over entirely to you. I know of my imperfections. And here's the best part. I already know I'm forgiven. I don't know if you guys pray and say, Lord, forgive me. The church has to still mature in that area of how to pray. You don't tell the Lord to forgive you, because then you're telling him to go back on the cross again. He already forgave you. What you do say is, Lord, I repent. Repentance is key. I'm, I repent and therefore I desire to no longer do the things or act that way and really take that serious because that, that, that's another thing. And, and this goes for all of us. Jeez. We, we just forget. Our memory is really, we'll have such a great time with God and and the very next day, we're doing something, and it's like, Lord, wow, help me to remember. Just tell, help me to remember. Just help me to remember. And we'll be okay. 
can all raise our hands up to heaven right now. Eyes closed. Father, we thank you for moments, these moments. Lord, I do understand that what we do and how we do it is important to you. But I also know, Lord, that you are constantly looking at our hearts, the desires of our hearts, the, 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 the attempt that some of us make, the, the desire to want to be present. And for that, we're grateful, my God. For, for if we were in the hands of those who would judge us, thank God you're God, and not my neighbor or my family member. Because if not, Lord, the judgment would have been passed a long time ago. So we're grateful, my Lord Jesus, and we ask that the word that has been taught today, that has been given today, would take its course through our bodies. That it would take its position in our hearts. That our souls, my God, would start to receive the purification process. So that prosperity would be based on our soul prospering. And as our soul prospers, we prosper. As our soul receives instructions, my God, by way of our spirit, our body will submit to that. We are your church, and we are willing and able to do your bidding, my God, to follow you, Holy Spirit, to receive your name, our Lord Yeshua. We thank you for all that you've done and for what's going to happen. In advance, we say thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Are there any questions you guys have? I, I just felt compelled to pray at that moment, but I, I, I always like to give the, question, the moment for questions. Any, any questions? Go ahead. Um, so last session, we were talking about how, you know, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, um, not necessarily mis mistakes, but he had to, like, redo what was... Yeah, that's what I want. I want to go over that one, too. Yeah, you're right. That's, um, that's in John chapter 5. But um, it, like, made me think, is there any correlation to when he healed the, the blind man? I mean, he healed the blind man. He let the blind man see too much and see people as, as trees instead of actual people. So was, uh, does that have any correlation with my question? So John 8.22 is what he's referring to. For those of you who want to look it up. John 8.22, John 8.22, I'm sorry, Mark 8.22. Mark 8.22 is what he's referring to, Mark 8.22. In that story, it speaks of a man who was not born blind. We know he's not born blind because anybody who says he sees men as trees is because he's been exposed to trees. So Mark 8.22 is not like John chapter 9 where Jesus made it clear that this guy is born blind. Um, some people try to combine the two stories together. But Mark 8.22 speaks of that and says, this man sees men as trees. Jesus spits in his eye. It wasn't to show a mistake, but rather to show his power. It was to make clear that the anointing that he carries can get you to go above and beyond. And that's what you're talking about. Because the spit in the, in the eye of the man 
gave him the ability to see as God sees. That's why he saw men as trees. He saw the veins of humanity. He saw the, the branches. And then Jesus touched him again. I know I gave you too much. My spit just saturated the, the mucous membrane in your eyes. It caused your eyes to see as I see. And I gave you too much. And that's why he touched him a second time. Again, scholars have stated that Jesus didn't give complete power at that moment. No. The other way around. It wasn't that he didn't have enough. Why would he have to touch twice? Absolutely. Again, you know why? Because the blood of Jesus has power, right? The sweat of Jesus has power, right? Ask the woman, ask the woman with the issue of blood. It was his sweat, right? Ask those who were at the cross. It was his blood. So what about his spit? His spit has power too. And so that spit caused a blind man to see as God sees. Thank you for that, because I really believe it's necessary for us to see that it's not a mistake in the word. It is just you understanding. What is your understanding of what was just displayed? Amen? Is there something that I'd like to also add? Can I just respond to that? Yes. Right. So the presence of Christ was there in the garden before mm -hmm. he created mm -hmm. also reflected in his presence. Absolutely. Before. See, the word won't, you will find glimpses of that all throughout the word. That's why um, Pastor Jen had mentioned in Hebrews chapter 1, the conversation of Jesus with the Father. They were talking to each other. And the father calls Jesus, the son, he calls him Lord. Not just call him Lord, he calls him my Lord. He says, and the Lord said to my Lord, my Lord said to my Lord. He called and said, Lord, what? Why? Because it's one and the same. It's what we spoke about earlier. It's the oneness of God. Amen? And then John 5, which also I was supposed to get into that, but we're not. We're done. But John 5, 24, was it? John 5, 24, we find out. Maybe we want to write that down. Um, we find out Jesus is told, or Jesus says, all authority has been granted me by my Father. All authority. Now, what does that mean, all authority? That means I call the shots. Right? Because if my Father gives me authority, I call the shots now. And then later on, in a couple of verses later, he goes, I do nothing without my father. It's not that it was inconsistency. It was the two languages, the Kronos Kairos language. It was heaven and earth. Jesus spoke like the son of man in one moment. Another moment he spoke as a son of God. The celebration of Jesus in heaven was as a son of man, not the son of God. Heaven already knew him as the son of God. So there was no celebration of him being the son of God. Everybody knew him as the son of God in heaven. 
So when he walked in, he's a son of man. That's like a big deal. Oh, man, flesh is, on earth. flesh is in heaven. Flesh got to heaven. Son of man, a human, a human factor has entered into heaven. What an anomaly. That was a celebration. Son of man. And on earth, we celebrate the son of God. Oh, my God, the son of God, all power, authority. So what impresses us is not what impresses heaven. Walking on water, that impresses us. Heaven goes, oh, yeah, we do that all day. Oh, yeah, that's not a big deal. You thought that was great? I can imagine the conversations with all the angelic beings. That really impressed you, right, the parting of the water? Let me show you something. Look at this. It's what we do all day. Because we're impressed with something that they're not impressed with. You know what they're really impressed with? Salvation. 